Welcome to Neocast. Join our experts each week as we discuss strategies and solutions for your businesses in managed IT, cybersecurity, government contracting, and much, much more. Sharing is caring, and we've got top-shelf advice to help you navigate today's biggest challenges. Let's get to it. Welcome back to season two of GovCon Rules. We are discussing in this season FAR Part 9 contracting qualifications, how contractors should handle cybersecurity's compliance. Today we're going to be on episode number two of this season, featuring our resident expert, Eric Crucius with Holland and Knight. And today we're going to be talking about why is cybersecurity compliance important under FAR Part 9. Eric, thank you so much for coming back and joining us on this episode. Appreciate it. Thanks. Good to be here as always. Yeah, absolutely. So we've reviewed a little bit about how contractors should handle cybersecurity as far as what is FAR Part 9. In our first season, we talked through what the cybersecurity certification process is going to look like. Today, let's go a little bit further into this topic and talk about what's actually required for contractors under FAR Part 9. Sure. Well, FAR Part 9 is kind of that catch-all where if the government wants to do business with the government contractor, the government contractor essentially has to show that they're a responsible enough company to do business with the government. So FAR Part 9 is kind of the guide uh, for that. Um, and the government puts those standards in the Federal Acquisition Regulation, FAR Part 9, and sets that out so everyone in the world can see what the government looks to when deciding whether a company is responsible enough to do business with the federal government. Good. Are there anything specific that they need to be requiring or anything that they're specifically required to do under FAR Part 9? Well, for those who have a handy-dandy FAR guide at home, I can refer you to uh, (laughs) FAR 9.104-1, but I'll just kind of summarize it here a little bit so you don't have to get up from your couch or put your cup of coffee down. Um, You can just kind of listen to us instead. So the things that the government looks for in, in 9.104-1, there's, there's about five or six or seven things, but uh, to summarize, one is they want to make sure that the company has adequate financial resources, that it can perform the contract, that it has the money to hire people, get them on the contract, or buy the supplies necessary to perform. There have been issues with contractors that don't have adequate financial resources not finishing performance. So that's a big thing that the government looks to. Uh. So do you actually have to turn in financial paperwork and certified by accountants or CPAs and things like this? That does have to happen sometimes, but it's not uh, necessary in all occasions. Okay. Uh, I have seen that required um, to show that the contractor, especially for larger efforts, can can perform. Right. But it's not a regular requirement that okay. they have. What they, what they will look for, and this is the, um, the next point, be able to comply with required or proposed delivery or performance schedule. So they'll look at that. That's something that they have to have confidence in doing. And for those first two points, they'll oftentimes the government looks for past performance references from the government. Where, where else have you performed for the federal government before? Or if nothing else, where else have you performed for a prime contractor? And now you're trying to get your own contract. But to show that um, you've done this before, you've been through this rodeo, you have the, and because you've done it, that could kind of show that you have the f- financial resources to do it again as well as the ability to perform uh, according to a schedule that the government's laying out. And so if you haven't actually worked either under another prime contractor for the government or for the government directly, will they take public resources? So different companies in the private sector could speak for your abilities to to do the work, or is that they really want to see that you've worked with the government before? 
there are times that you can, um, without a government contract or a subcontract in the past, that you can perform. So there's, um, if you're a small business, there's this provision that says that requires the government. Let's just say they want to award you the contract, but, but they don't know if you can perform because you haven't done this before. They will refer to the Small Business Administration for a review. Uh, uh, okay. And the SBA, if they find that the contractor has, they'll look more deeply into financial resources and things like that. And if the SBA finds that the contractor has adequate financial resources, they'll, they'll issue what's called a certificate of competency, and then the contractor will get the award. So that's to be kind of proposed to get the award. Right, okay. Agency refers it to SBA. SBA does it, looks at, at, at the documents that the, that the contractor has or proposed contractor. Sure. And then they will um, issue that certificate, and then they can go on their way and perform, hopefully. Great. So this is a little bit of a tangent question here, and you may not know the answer, but is that then the recommended or the typical way someone moves their way up to being a prime contractor is, is sort of, you know, hitches their wagon to other prime contractors until they're ready to take on and bid for some of that business themselves? Absolutely. That's a very common way that all prime contractors were probably at once first subcontractors. Right. They get their foot in the door. They want to see if this is the kind of business they want to sure. get into. It's lower risk. They're not required to comply with all the clauses necessarily that prime contractors are required to right. comply with. So they don't have the cost of those systems that they have to develop internally as right. a prime contractor. Right. That Absolutely. Sounds, that sounds smart. So so what does it mean when, I, or are there other, are there other requirements under there? I want to make sure we get through those. There's a few more. Have a satisfactory uh, record of integrity and business ethics. Um, have a satisfactory performance record, which is really what we've already talked mm -hmm. about have the necessary organization experience accounting and operational controls and technical skills or the ability to to obtain them i think this is really where cybersecurity compliance comes in they want to make sure you have the internal systems necessary to perform and mm -hmm. to be compliant with the rules and responsibilities that the government puts on contractors for a lot of things in the cybersecurity we there are some cybersecurity specific clauses that contractors have to follow. But if you look at the overwhelming number of clauses that are out there that contractors have to follow that um, bring in essentially cybersecurity, there are older clauses before anyone cared about cybersecurity. Ah, uh, okay. Like this, this um, clause was, was originally written in the 1980s, although it was edited and uh, updated through, through this, this year actually. Okay. But a lot of these kinds of things were around long ago, but still bring in cybersecurity because if they want you to have the technical skills, that right. would include cybersecurity right. skills necessary to protect your things or protect the government's information. So there's a couple more, have the necessary production, construction, technical equipment and facilities, or the ability to obtain them. Again, that's something that could bring in cybersecurity. If you don't have those things, right. you may not be cybersecurity compliant. And then just to catch all, be otherwise qualified and eligible under the applicable laws. So these are the kind of standards the government will look to when deciding whether a contractor is responsible or not. And I could see at least two of them really imply cybersecurity, right. even if it's not what the drafters intended at the time. Sure. That's what it, that's what it will mean right. in the present day. Now, as I've said several times on all these episodes, as the layman, as the person that doesn't know any of this and, and is um, wanting to be sure that we have questions out there that can be answered for those that are brand new listeners and trying to figure out if this is an area they want to get into. One question that came to mind while you were talking about that was um, this, this seems to refer a lot to systems and things that you have to have in place as far as infrastructure of a company. How much of it ever refers to the actual human resources that you're pulling on to any projects and the security levels and things like that that they might need to have? 
that that is certainly um, that certainly occurs. It's that's more on a contract by contract basis. Okay. Although I think it's implicit in all these requirements sure. anyway. So it's a great question, but I think also um, from a contract by contract basis, it'll talk about what kind of history an individual on the contract must have besides their qualifications and all that kind of stuff. Sure. What kind of clearance they have to have, what kind of cybersecurity training they may have to have, um, right. things like that. Sure. When dealing with the Department of Defense and getting into cybersecurity, is there just a, a base level clearance that people need to get into that field in the first place? Or is that something that you can build up towards? Do you know? Uh, it's okay if you don't have the answer. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> if you're talking about in individuals who a contractor would hire, that would be highly dependent on what they're going to do okay. on the contract. There are some individuals who would just need to be to have the necessary background the government cares about if you look at agencies they care about what the qualifications are because that predicts what they will be able to do okay. in the workplace okay so they care about that that doesn't necessarily mean they need some kind of clearance or something like that but for okay most cybersecurity things today i think they would probably need clearances right. of some kind right interesting okay so what does it mean when a contractor signs an invoice? What is what is the contractor actually promising at that point? So there's an implicit promise, and we're, I know we're going to get more into this in the next episode, But um, so stay tuned. <laughs> but there's an implicit promise that the contractor is following and complying with all the regulations that are, that are in their contract. That's one. Number two, it's that we have provided what we said we're going to provide in this invoice. So if the invoice is for... 30 people over, you know, for $60 an hour, working eight hours a day with certain uh, qualifications, that's what happened. And okay. I'm signing this invoice and I'm certifying that's what happened. Aside, there is one off and they'll only impact a few of probably our listeners, but under the Davis-Bacon Act, which is an act for construction uh, government contracts. Okay. It's a little more complicated than that, but essentially government contracting construction they have to do certified payrolls every week. Um, oh, okay. So it's a little bit more complicated. So besides that, I really think um, you know, for the most part, signing an invoice, you are promising the government that you have provided what you said you're going to provide and doing so in a compliant manner. Right. So all those regulations, including cybersecurity regulations, have been complied with. Okay. What, so we jumped sort of straight from contract to an invoice, uh, assuming that the contract has come through, then you're saying that once every time we sign an invoice sent to the government, that's what we're promising. Right. And again, this is a little bit more apropos of the False Claims Act, but because of that, it's a claim every time you sign an invoice and file it. Mm. And that means if there is a problem with your underlying systems, that is a new claim that the government has against oh. you, the contractor, for not complying. Okay. So, Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So that's the relevance of... of pulling out that specific uh, information around an invoice mm -hmm. because each one sets up a new claim. Interesting. Yes. Okay. Okay. Well, what would be required by contractors for cybersecurity compliance under FAR Point 9? I would say it's probably a whole range of things that I think have not been meted out by the federal government. So for instance, you have um, the DFARS clause that we've already talked about a little bit. And we have the FAR clause, which I think we're going to talk about in a later episode. Sure. And we, those are two clauses where the contractor has promising that they're going to comply. And by signing their invoices, they're promising they're going to comply. And under FAR Part 9, if you're going to be a responsible contractor, you're promising to comply. Right. If 
the government comes across a contractor who doesn't care about cybersecurity compliance and or is willful, willfully ignorant of cybersecurity compliance, that's not going to be a responsible contractor under FAR Part 9. Right. If you just go here and go back to 9.104-1 and talk about uh, the requirements or the things that the government looks to when a contractor is responsible or not, one is how to have a satisfactory record of integrity and business ethics. Well, if you don't care about complying with the right. law, you probably don't have a satisfactory record of mm -hmm. business uh, ethics and have the necessary organization, experience, accounting, controls, things right. like that. Again, you, if you don't care about complying with cybersecurity, you're not going to have those controls in place right. for cybersecurity. Right. So I think all those things, FAR Part 9 kind of brings in cybersecurity, even if it was not intended at the time it was drafted right. to okay. do that. Gotcha. So does the new CMMC certification change anything? The CMMC certification is interesting. Usually when there's a new requirement like this, contractors look at it with a very skeptical eye. What more money am I going to have to spend to continue to have my customer, the federal government? And that's not necessarily a good thing for the contractors. Sure. Right? There may be a good policy reason for it. I'm not going to argue that. But CMMC certification is kind of interesting. It's going to be, and we'll see how it plays out, but I think it, it has the potential to be a boon for contractors because you're offloading, in essence, that responsibility onto the certifying company. Right. That's not to say that a contractor has absolved itself of any responsibility, and if they are purposely hiding things from the certifying company and sure, things like yeah. that, those are problems in themselves. But the government will look to that certification, and if it sees it, the contractor doesn't have to worry about doing anything else except for complying with whatever the requirements are to get certified sure. and to maintain that certification. Sure. But I, I see it, the process now is kind of ad hoc and right. different contracting officers taking different positions that are sometimes less favorable to contractors, sometimes more. Um, the requirements within a contract where they look at your cybersecurity compliance, possibly depending on the type of work you're going to do, is a little bit uneven. It's all over the board right now. I see the CMMC certification as really standardizing what's right. going to happen. And I think contractors love thing when things are standardized sure. and they know what to expect and know how to respond to it and can prepare. Right. So I, I could see that changing a lot as far as FAR Part 9, because that certification will be a sign that the contractor is responsible, at least with respect to cybersecurity. And that right. is something the contractor doesn't have to worry about proving out every time they're bidding on a contract. Right. Well, and even just, uh, and I have bid on government work before, and just the amount of paperwork that you have to be submitting every time you're doing it, I would imagine the certification letter sort of supplants having to every time pull up this boilerplate and have 35 pages that outline everything that you're going to do and so on and so forth. So to your point, it sort of, it doesn't abdicate the contractor of the responsibility, but it at least puts the responsibility on the certification body to maintain the certification Right. Uh, you know, level, I guess, if you will. And then that sort of certificate or whatever it is that you would supply to the, the government agency would then suffice as saying we are compliant with these types of things. That's the idea. And I think that's what contractors are hoping for. Sure. I can't read all contractors out there, of course. My right. sample size is a little smaller than that. But I can see this as something that the contractors will welcome if it's done the right way. Right. Cool. So anything else that we want to talk about on this particular topic of uh, why cybersecurity compliance is important under FAR Part 9? I would just say that 
cybersecurity obviously is, is somewhat of a new thing for contractors to have to worry about. But I would say that it doesn't matter how small or how big you are, this is an equally important problem. I've had contractors who have two or three employees come up to me after a presentation and say, holy cow, somebody tried to hack me because this contractor had valuable information. So um, I wouldn't ignore this if you're just two or three employees. Um, I would pay a lot of attention to it still. Obviously, the resources you have may be something different than the resources of a top five government contractor, but that doesn't abdicate the responsibility of the small business to comply. These clauses are all applicable to small businesses as right. well. Right. Great. Well, thank you so much, Eric. We have covered now topic number two in episode number two of season number two. And I look forward to our next episode, topic number three here, which we will discuss false claims and other risks of noncompliance. Thanks so much. Thank you. Talk to you next episode. The Neo Systems Difference. We specialize in serving organizations of all sizes. In today's fiercely competitive market, is your organization constantly searching for ways to gain the advantage over competitors? Smart organizations are paying more attention to their strategic back office operations. Neosystems offers scalable back office services and solutions to improve your organization with a team of industry experts, industry-leading information technology tools, and an advanced technical infrastructure. From software hosting and security solutions to managed accounting services, Neosystems will custom-build solutions and services that are tailored to fit your organization's needs. Check us out on the internet at neosystemscorp.com. That's neosystemscorp.com.